just one life. Every life on earth is but a vapor. It appears, then it's gone with a record of what's done. Then we stand alone at the judgment seat of Christ, God's holy Son. We must all bow down at the judgment seat of Christ. We must give account for the things we've done with our lives. I will silver and precious stones in our life and uh, each of you made it out on an excellent day make sure you grab one of these on your way out we got three small groups starting this week two of them will be starting this week the next will be uh, the financial piece will be starting on Friday the 19th of the month so excited about those three small groups and if you're a married couple in the room uh, a married person in the room you didn't get one of these books grab one on your way out and it'll help you encourage you in your marriage and uh, had these resources to try to be a blessing to you and an encouragement to each of you. If you're glad to be here and you're excited to hear from God's word this morning, would you say amen? amen. All right. Let's go to Romans in chapter 2 this morning. You guys didn't know where we were going. We're going to continue or were we going to stop? Romans in chapter 2. For each of the small groups, I want to encourage you. Plan and prepare. Bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them in the back, and you can grab one. Um, 
had some very nice Schofields Bibles that came in, and uh, those are available, I believe, for $20 in the back. Uh, that's, that's our cost. They normally cost about uh, 25 or 30 depending on where you buy them. So uh, they're in the back if you need a study Bible, and you'd like one, you don't have one. I encourage everybody to grab a Bible before they come into small groups uh, to be prepared to study together if you don't have your own copy of God's Word. Romans in chapter 2 and verse uh, 1. The Bible tells us, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, the goodness of God, don't we want God's goodness? You want God's goodness? Just say amen. I want his goodness. What does his goodness lead us to, he says? Leadeth thee to, and what does it say? Oh, no. We want the goodness, but God says the goodness leads us to repentance. He's asking them a question here because it's easy to forget this truth. Verse 5, but after thy hardness, and look what he says next, impenitent heart. Treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the unrighteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Look, if you would, back in this, ver in this passage, all right? Uh, you see the Bible tells us in verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life a life with an eternal focus god wants his church to be filled with people that have an eternal focus he wants his church to be filled with believers that have an eternal focus in our passage he describes people with an eternal focus and then he describes the opposite those with a carnal focus in verse 8 but unto them that are contentious, and he says, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Now, we can all quickly identify somebody in our life that falls in that category, right? We can point the finger, oh, right? It's easy to point fingers, but whenever we point the finger, what's happening? How many are pointing back at us? All right, you got three fingers pointing back at you. And it's easy when we point the finger at somebody else, and we say, well, you've got the problem. God says, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. 
He says, be careful when you pass the judgment. He says to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. God says he's going to give them a life of trouble. Do you think it is possible for a Christian to live a life of trouble? I'll say it is. I've lived around a lot of Christians that live a life filled with trouble because they live a life of contention. You say, but Christian, a life of contention, tribulation and anguish, trouble. Trouble, why? Because rejecting the plan of God, the will of God. Rejecting the glory of God, seeking my own glory. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He didn't say blessed are the contentious, all right? And he said blessed are the peacemakers. I believe the church is a glorious institution created by God himself for his glory. And in this passage in Romans, uh, it is very easy for us to just take chapter 2 and to apply it to the unsaved and to the ungodly, all right? But he describes people that are following Christ and people that are following the flesh. And my friend, it's easy as a Christian to start to be tempted to follow our flesh. And uh, it's easy to become contentious. The church is this institution created by God, but it functions perfectly when Christ is exalted. Look in verse uh, 7. Glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. Look, we're mortal. We're going to die. But Jesus is the one who lives forever. So when we put our faith in Christ, we seek after the things that are above and not the things of this earth. God promises his blessings upon our life when we live a life that's Christ-centered, Christ-focused. And when, we, when it's a signal to the world of the power of God when souls are saved in one and brought to the kingdom of God through our life. It shows them that God is alive. You say, where did you get that from in this passage? Paul says back in verse 16 of chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You may be here today and you may have never embraced the cross. Today is your day to call upon the blessed name of Jesus and to run into his arms. The Father's arms are waiting for you and to come and let Jesus embrace you. You say, how do I do that? I repent of my sins and turn and put my faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I come with full surrender. This plan and purpose of God will take place with surrendered hearts. But the plan of God can be disrupted by this spirit that he describes in this passage. Tribulation, anguish upon every soul that doth evil. On the Jew first and also the Gentile. He says those who are, he says, contentious and do not obey the truth. You say, what kind of people is he talking about? Look back in verse 29 of chapter 1. The Bible says, chapter 1, verse 29, uh, the very end, he says, full of murder, debate, deceit, malignity. And then he says, look at the next word, whispers. All right, there's the Baptist sin right there. All right, whisperers. Then he says next, verse 30, backbiters. Oof. You ever had a backbiter bite you? You ever been bitten by a backbiter? 
course, I've never had that happen to me. Um, you ever had that happen to you? My goodness. Come behind you like a snake, all right? Uh, backbiters, all right? Somebody that says they're your friend, but they turn on, they turn on you. They say, I love you, but they turn on you, okay? Backbiters. Jesus had some of those, didn't he? Jesus had some of his very own disciples that spent their life in ministry. Lest you think, and we sometimes think and we assume that, you know what? Uh, we're just going to all of a sudden get into this little assembly and everything's just going to miraculously be perfect. Jesus had 12 disciples and they were always arguing, okay? They were always arguing. They were arguing, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus said, I'm going to be the greatest. Uh, who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to sit at the left hand? Quit arguing about that, Jesus said. At the very end, one of his disciples, one of the very 12, betrayed our Lord. You say there was trouble, yes. But thank God there was triumph because Peter put his faith in Christ. You see the Apostle John writing a great portion of the Bible. You see Paul later called to be an apostle, used mightily by God. You say God brought about great things through surrendered hearts. And my friend, it's easy, it's easy to develop this spirit in verse 8 unto them that are contentious. Um, one time I visited a church and, and I do not remember who was preaching. It was a guest preacher, so my wife and I went. We said, we're going to visit this church. Let's visit the church, and have, we're going to go to the service. And that night, they canceled the kids' program. And so all the teachers were upstairs, and there was one teacher in the back. And, man, you could tell she had a bad day, okay? And uh, she was the kids' class teacher, but she had a cranky day. And she was sitting back there, and her message spoke louder than the sermon of the day. But she had this attitude. It was like a, like a dog, you know? And she was sitting back there. And the only thing I remember from that service is that contentious woman that was sitting right across the pew from me. That's the only thing I remember, the contentious spirit. And I thought to myself, that's a Sunday school teacher. That's one of the best Sunday school teachers in this church. And they got a contentious spirit. Wow, that'll contaminate the place. That'll preach louder than any sermon in that place. The quickest way, I want to help you this morning, all right? The quickest way to find a good church is to have the heart of a servant and a heart of surrender. That's the quickest way to find a good church. Say, I want to find a perfect church. I'd love to find a perfect church too. I'm imperfect, so it's hard to find a perfect church, all right? As long as I'm there, there's going to be imperfection, all right? And if you be honest, we all deal with imperfection in our life. The heart of a servant and the heart of surrender. Did Jesus embody both of these truths? Was Jesus a servant? Was Jesus surrendered to the Father's will? Father, not my will, but thine be done. The easiest way to become dissatisfied with your current church is to lose the heart of a servant and to become stubborn to the spirit of grace. To them that are, verse 8, he says, contentious and obey not the truth. Freedom or bondage, the choice is ours. The Bible tells us where there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, we've all been to a church that's destined to die sometimes, and a church gets destined to die when its members get more in, in focused on inspecting the vision than on winning the loss to Christ, all right? Inspecting the vision than winning the loss to Christ. Don't fall in that trap of the devil, all right? The easiest way to become dissatisfied is to lose the heart of a servant, the heart of willingness. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to start to lead my family to Christ. That's the greatest thing we can do. And so many of you brought your kids today. God bless you for doing that. Having a sweet spirit and a humble spirit in the home, uh, God will use that in great ways. And uh, it'll bring our children to Jesus. What's the vision for Calvary Baptist Church? Rebuild the broken walls. 
rebuild the broken walls, all right? Um, every church needs healthy families, healthy families, families that are spiritually thriving, families that where the daddy and the mommy come to church and where the children come to church. And uh, my friends, that ought to be a vision on our hearts who want to rebuild the walls. This society is trying to tear down the family. And you watch what they're doing in Washington. They're trying to tear the family apart. And we get upset about what they're doing in Washington. And we say, well, they shouldn't be doing that. But it happens in our homes, all right? Rebuild the broken walls. We build the broken lives. It brings me great joy to my heart when God sends somebody who's a, a drug addict or somebody that's struggling with something to church. I love it, all right? Because if we don't have, we don't recognize, you know what? God wants to rebuild the broken lives, all right? He wants to rebuild people that are struggling, and we are all broken. He wants to rebuild the broken lives. He wants to establish the work of God in our lifetime. And some of you need to catch the vision of that. God wants to reestablish this work in our lifetime. And you say, how is that possible with surrendered hearts? And to have a church that thrives. Now, if that's our vision, if that's our vision, we've got to catch on to where God wants us to be as a church. Because Romans chapter 2 easily happens in a church setting. Uh, where the church starts to display these things, where we have the truth, but we become very judgmental uh, towards others, uh, and we condemn them for doing the very things that we are doing. In our devotional book just yesterday, did you read that refreshing devotional? I hope you did. It was great. Hudson Taylor was on his way to a little tiny church meeting. It was actually meeting in a schoolhouse, and he met there on this stormy, snowy night. He came into that meeting, and the book says he showed up, and the, the hostess said, you know what, probably nobody's going to come. And he said, you know what, I'll preach if it's just the, the doorman, if he's the only one that's here. Less than a dozen people showed up, but you know what happened? Half of them surrendered to be missionaries or sent their children to be missionaries, and the other half supported the work of Hudson Taylor over in China. You say, was that worth it? I believe it was. But what happened in that meeting? It was surrendered hearts. Surrendered hearts. And my friends, that's what God wants us to have. Surrendered hearts. And I'm praying for that. See, we got the part, I believe, where we say, you know, we'll support others to do the work. But we ought to say, Lord, help me to have my children surrender to do the work. And Lord, help me if my children are lost to reach my kids for Christ before you take me home. Uh, some churches, if we're not careful, we can be run. We can be run uh, by decades for people who've never, who, with people who've never led a soul to Jesus Christ. That ought to concern you. Uh, people who have no children in the house of God, but experts on the faith. This creates an unholy dilemma. Because we have the truth without the power of God, that's found back in verse 16. We have the truth but we don't have the power of God because the salvation didn't happen in our homes. Ooh. We believe that uh, those, those leaders, man, those missionaries, they ought to lead people to Jesus. The preachers ought to lead people to Jesus. But what about us? We ought to lead people to Jesus too. Uh, he wants to win souls through us. He wants us to not just come in for a good message, but to come in and seek to bear fruit that abounds to the glory of God. That's why we're starting these, these groups to help Reach more people. God has been good to give us mercy and truth, found back in verse 4. He says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? God has been really patient with me. Has he been patient with you? I mean, God puts up with a lot of nonsense, all right? 
The Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day, but I don't see him turning the sun off every day, all right? I don't see him shutting off everything. I don't see him stopping the water so we can't get water from our wells. No, God takes good care even when we reject him. Uh, here at the church, we're just simply doing everything in our power to prevent the church from becoming another museum, all right? We see enough museums around here, and we don't want the church to become another museum. Uh, the church before God, the believer, is inexcusable before God. The greatest hindrance to the work of God is never the enemy without, but the enemies that arise from within. This morning, if you're looking for an outline, you're not going to get an outline. Uh, we're just going to go through the text, and we're going to look at several truths in the text. The greatest hindrance to the work of God is never the enemy without, but the enemies that arise within, from within. He says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. Ooh. Look in verse 18 of chapter 1. For the... We don't like this word, do we? I don't... This word's tough. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. He is not talking about the lost who have not the truth. He is talking about those who have the truth but twist the truth. Those who have the truth but distort the truth. You say, what kind of truth? God wants us to be multiplying and making disciples, and if we've missed that, we need to get back to God and ask God to forgive us. Ask God to forgive us. Um, we don't want to follow in the painful footsteps of our forefathers where they have forsaken God. We want to live a life of repentance. Thou art inexcusable, O oh man. Here's some excuses that we tend to throw up. I didn't know, right? I didn't know. Look, the politicians can make that excuse, all right? And uh, they failed me. Oh, that's, a, that's an easy one. As children, we'll say that about our parents. They failed me. We'll blame it on the job. We'll blame it on the parents. But he says we're inexcusable. We have no excuse. I like to be able to make an excuse for why I do what I do. But you know what? If I show up late to suffer, it is my fault. It doesn't matter if I had a tub of joint compound in my hand and I needed to get that on. My friend, uh, it doesn't matter if I got stuck, all right, which has happened multiple times. It was, it was my poor planning, all right? And when I get home, I have to give account for my behavior, right? No, my wife's very sweet to me about that. But um, hey, you know, ladies, it's not good if the man shows up late for dinner, is it? All right? Uh, without excuse. Do you live a life of excuses? Thou art inexcusable, he says. So God holds us to the same standard of Jesus Christ, and he also holds us to the same standard at which we hold others. All right? It's easy to hold others to this standard. It's easy to have a standard for other believers, especially those we look up to. We say, well, they need to behave this way. They need to have this attitude. They need to sing this song. They need to do this thing. And if they don't do that, they're not walking with God. And God says, who's following you? Who's your disciple? He that winneth souls is wise. God says, well, then you're not wise. And often we live a life of con condemnation upon others instead of looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, I am inexcusable. I'm judging others for the very same things that I am not doing. Uh, I'm telling other parents how to raise their kids 
And maybe, you know what, I ought to just tell them where I've messed up raising mine, amen? I ought to just admit, you know, I made a mistake, okay? And uh, we've already made plenty of mistakes with the two little ones, and we'll make a bunch more, all right? You've got to be quick and really to, willing to recognize, I've made a mistake, I've messed up, I need the help of God, a heart of humility, a heart of humility. I challenge you to live a life of humility, support, encourage, uplift those who do the work of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, we should submit, for they watch for our souls. Uh, inexcusable. Look over in, in, Roman, in Hebrews chapter 13 and look at the text. This morning as we, as we dig through the word of God, we like to say that others are inexcusable. Now we saw last, last two weeks really this whole issue of the alternate lifestyle and what God says about it in Romans chapter 1. And uh, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. But this passage, really, we ought to apply it straight to us. Ask God to help us. The greatest hindrance is those from within. Uh, verse thir chapter 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. But they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Uh, look, I've caused some grief to some pastors, all right? I don't want to do that again. I don't want to cause grief to those who are praying for me, seeking to care for my soul, seeking to reach my family for me. Uh, we ought to be burdened about the family too, all right? Submit, for they watch for your souls. The mission of the church is go make disciples. Give the gospel. Make the disciples. Go ye into all the worlds on the back wall of our church. This mission brings, brings glory to God. Go ye into all the world. But when this mission is substituted, it brings shame to the cause of Christ. The truth, if not embraced, will be erased. And this morning, I want you to think about this truth of inexcusable. Wisdom is learning all the facts and examining ourselves before drawing a conclusion. All right? Learning all the facts. I want to learn all the facts before I draw a quick conclusion. Uh, it's easy to get a sharp tongue. It doesn't please the Lord. The greatest hindrance to the work of God is the enemy. Uh, never the enemy without, but the enemy from within. And think about this from last week. If the truth is not embraced, it will be erased. When a church loses its vision to reach souls, it has failed and needs to humble itself. Uh, the vision and the purpose of the church ought to always be, Lord, help me to reach new people. Lord, help us to reach new people. And if you're new in here, I'm so glad you're in here, okay? Because that's the purpose. That's the vision. We want to reach new people. Uh, we don't want to just be a little golf club, all right? Uh, we have a little golf club membership, and we do things always the same way, and we have no life. Uh, when the church loses its vision to reach souls, it has failed and needs to humble itself. Uh, right here, look, many are catching the vision. A life of witnessing, a life of building relationships is more powerful than just knocking on a door because we feel like we should. Uh, we can go out and knock on doors, but if we in our life aren't building relationships and loving people, we're going to get to that door and we won't know how to love the people behind that door. And, and when we go out and we're going to do us some more, we're going to go out and, and knock on people's doors. And you say, what are we going to do? You're just going to give them an invitation and ask to pray for them. But my friend, if we don't have a habit of praying with people, showing love to people in our regular lifestyle, uh, we won't be very effective at the door, and we won't see visitors come into church through that type of outreach if we haven't learned how to do it uh, and disciplined ourselves in that already. Uh, when we lose our vision to reach souls, we're inexcusable. Because 
The programs and methods of men are not the key. It's, it's the simple obedience to God. Romans chapter 2 told us, he says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, wherein thou judgest, for when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. What things? All the things he's described in chapter 1. Uh, vile affections, a life of homosexuality, he describes. Uh, a life of lesbianism, he describes all of that. He speaks of all those things in verses uh, 25 down through 27. He speaks in verse 28 of not wanting to retain God in our knowledge. So forgetting the truth of God, and God gave him over to a reprobate mind. And he speaks of all this lifestyle of fornication, anything outside of marriage. And he speaks of wickedness, and oh, that's a society we live in today. Covetousness, desiring what's not ours, maliciousness, just a life of malice, anger, full of envy, envious of what God, how God's used somebody else. Envy, murder, hating others, okay? That's murder is hatred in the eyes of God as well. Debate, this attitude of, I just wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna prove my point always with everybody. Deceit, so a life of deception malignity and whisperers. See this attitude of just uh, coming behind and having this whispering spirit. That's a, that's a sin in the sight of God. And he says the judgment of God in verse 2 of chapter 2 is according to truth against them which commit such things. So he says I'm against the whisperer. He says I'm against the contentious. He says I'm against the bitter heart. He says I'm against the backbiter. He says I'm against the verse 30 of chapter 1, the proud. And he says, I'm also against the boaster. The boaster. It's easy, isn't it, men, to tell our fish story, right? It gets longer and longer, right, as we tell that. And I like talking about hunting, right? And I can make that deer kind of grow, right? It's bigger and bigger. And uh, it's easy to kind of exaggerate things out of proportion and exaggerate our talents and our abilities. And God says, don't have that attitude. Don't lose our vision to reach souls. Don't lose our vision to reach others. Thou art inexcusable. Verse 8 tells us in Romans chapter 2, But unto them that are contentious, and obey not the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he says there is judgment. That's a sad place to live. To them who obey not the truth. You say, what's the truth? We know to do it, and we don't do it. It's sin. If we know we ought to have a sweet spirit, we don't. It's sin. If we know we ought to help somebody, and we don't, it's sin. Uh, we often make excuses for our behavior. First uh, Samuel, look over there if you would, in chapter 15. First Samuel in chapter 15. It's a great book. Samuel the prophet had to deal with the first king of Israel. The first king of Israel was kind of a failure from the start. Saul was his name. Saul liked to do things his own way. You say, but he was the king. God didn't want a king. God wanted a prophet. But the people of God wanted to have a king, and so God gave him a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible tells us in verse 22, they had already got all these animals they weren't supposed to get. God said, kill all the animals. Kill all of them. Well, they saved some of them alive. And Samuel said in verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. It's easy to justify a life of stubbornness by our sacrifice. You say, but you know what? I sacrificed. I gave all this. I did all this. I was there. I was doing this. God says, did you have a heart surrender? To obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken than the fat of rams. Corinthians tells us we could offer everything that we own to God. But if we do not have love in our hearts, God says it's nothing. You say, that doesn't make sense. It makes sense in the eyes of God. So Samuel here speaking to Saul and says in verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast, he says, rejected the word of the Lord. He also hath rejected thee from being king. Saul lost his position as king. It took a while for God to demote him. God put David in a training camp and had David be chased around by this wicked man, Saul, to train David. But Saul's sin was simple, rebellion. It's the opposite of repentance. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And look, we can, we can point out others and their lifestyles, and we can say, well, they're involved in witchcraft, they're involved in some wickedness, they're involved in that type. And God says, how about stubbornness? He says, is that in our hearts? If it's in our hearts, we're inexcusable. We don't get an excuse to be stubborn. God doesn't give us that option. He wants humility. Simple obedience and love for our master leads us to bring others to the king. My sheep hear my voice, John 10, Jesus said, and follow me. So the first mission in our home is in our home. And if the children reject that faith, it comes back on us as parents, and we ought to ask some hard questions. Why didn't they want my faith? Why would anybody want our faith if our Bible knowledge has not changed our ability to love? And that, that's a tough one right there. But Lord's dealt with me a lot about that over the years, and he continues to deal with me. If you can't love people who are different than you, you have not, the Bible says you're not saved. And so if we do not have a heart of love, he says we're not a child of the king inexcusable, O oh man, inexcusable, O oh man. We have entered into a vision, a mission to rebuild the church. But God says we're inexcusable if we have an attitude of judgment towards others, but we don't do the same things ourselves. Thinkest thou this, O oh man, that judgest them that do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? I am more concerned with answering to God for not winning souls to God than answering to a stubborn Christian. That ought to be your attitude in your heart, okay? Um, sometimes we get so focused on pleasing people, and we have to ask ourselves, are the people we're trying to please winning souls to Jesus? If they're not you know, living a life of obedience to Christ, we need to obey God rather than man, okay? It comes down to a life of obedience, you do what God tells you to do because we give an account to God for our behavior, not to the people around us. Um, God wants to rebuild our church, but he wants us to have a heart that says, I'm not going uh, to judge the others around me about the, their whatever they got going on, okay? I'm going to look within and say, Lord, search me. Lord, help me because I want to walk. I want to grow. I want to move forward, and I want this church to move forward, and I want to get caught up in the vision and so I want to get focused on Jesus Christ. He says, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. 
Knowing not the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. When's the last time you repented? When's the last time you repented? Repentance ought to be a lifestyle. It ought to be a daily thing. When's the last time we repented? Joshua said to the believers in Joshua 24, verse 15, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every one of us present must examine ourselves and see, am I in the faith? Am I in the faith? And then, uh, you know what, if we're here present and we say, you know what, I'm in the faith, but, huh, all right. If we've begun the ministry of discouragement, we need to repent and ask God to forgive us for our coldness of heart. Why discourage the hearts of those who are leading souls to Christ? Why not jump on board and begin the ministry of encouragement? Inexcusable to judge. Inexcusable. For those who have begun to doubt God will repent and ask Him to give us faith. Lord, give us faith. When we think of all these things, because He describes in verse 8, But to them that are contentious and obey not the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. I don't want the indignation and wrath of God. I know you don't. So then what do we want? We don't want the tribulation. We don't want the anguish. We don't want our families falling apart. We want them being built up by the word of God. He says, upon every soul that doth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But, I love verse 10, glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good. You say, what can I do to work good? This is the best part. What can I do to work good? I want to, as a believer, work good. And you're not saved. You need to put your faith in Christ and begin to follow after him. He'll give you the power to do good works. Uh, look, these are the things uh, that will help us moving forward and help us to live out verse, these, these 11 verses and to turn, instead of living a life that's inexcusable before God, live a life that's pleasing before God. First, when we think about this, there's several habits that can steal our joy from the church and habits that can steal our joy from our life as Christians, and uh, these habits need to be broken up. First habit that we can fall into, and enlisted right there for you, these are habits that we can easily take into our life if we're not careful. And these are habits, these are all very biblically supported if you know your Bible. Uh, failing to repent. Revelation 3, he says, I know your first works. He says, repent. Come back to a life of repentance. So failing to repent. Whenever I fail to repent, it's a lifestyle. And every time I stiffen up my back against God, or against the word of God, or the work of God, failing to repent. Here's another one, failing to lead souls to Christ. We ought to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to quit judging everybody else. The truth is, I need to lead people to Jesus, and I need to win people to Jesus. And my friend, it might be one a year, it might be one every two years, but it shouldn't be never anybody. It ought to be somebody we lead into Jesus Christ, failing to lead souls to Christ. Here's another failure, inexcusable habits. As a Christian, I, I really don't have an excuse on this one. Failing to turn my kids to the faith. Mm. I have a responsibility before God to pray for, to disciple, to mentor, and to help them love my Jesus. And if I don't do that, it's on me. All right? Failing to turn them to the faith. Uh, now, can they rebel? Of course they can rebel. But too often we give that the free pass. And uh, if it's an entire, uh, entire group of believers and they all give that the free, free pass, you know, I mean, it's just this is what happened. They just, they just might reject the faith. If it's the entire group, my friend, that, that should never happen, okay? Uh, we ought to say, Lord, help me. We want, to, we want to win souls to Jesus Christ, okay? So we want to have the group leading souls to Jesus Christ, leading our kids to the faith. Uh, here's another one. This is a difficult one, failing to make disciples. Disciples. 
Jesus tells us that we ought to make disciples. John 15 speaks of abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. The fruit is a life of discipleship. That's why we're starting small groups, is for a life of discipleship. We want people to grow and be encouraged in their faith. Another thing that can really steal our joy is the bad habit. It can be developing a bigger spirit. Uh, he says in verse uh, 8, but to them that are content. You say, well, we want Romans 2. We want to speak to the others that are outside the church. You know, they're, they're the ones. But no, God says, well, you're the ones here. I want you to hear the word of God. He says, don't be content. Don't fall in that trap. Um, you like a contentious child in your home. I don't, okay? And uh, God says, I don't want a contentious child. God does not want us to have a contentious, bitter, bitter spirit. The root of bitterness is a very, very dangerous thing, and it can steal the joy from our life. And the root of bitterness is something God tells us that he wants to see the chop out of our life. I brought something in for you, the very rusty one. See this one right here? It's an I was going to ask for the powerful one because his I'm sure is sharper than mine. But this axe is very dull, as you can see. It's very rusty. I haven't sharpened it ever since I got it. It's a craftsman, so I guess I guess I break it. I can take it and get another one. But um, this axe is pretty dull. Sometimes we have fruit, okay? And the word of God is a sword. But we've let the sword get rusty. All right, all right. And it rusts rusty, and it's not been used much. And this act is going to take a lot of exertion to use it because it's very, very, very rusty. And God says in our life, He says, you know what? It's to me. You know what, Pastor Dan? You've got to get better in this new life. I don't want to cut it out, but He gives me the word. He says, you know what? I want you to take that word. And I'm giving you the word. And you know what? Sometimes we have the word, and we know, but we've let it get a little bit through, right? All right? With our own, with opinion. Our own opinion. And we come and we in, come in, and we kind of say, Lord, yeah, Lord, you can deal with it, and we go kind of like this. Like this. Lord, yeah, Lord, take that root of bitterness out of my heart, Lord, I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be God says, you didn't put it in the of that. And we come in, we come in with this heart, heart. We say, you know, Lord, you know, yes, Lord, let your word, let your, let your, but, but don't, make, don't it, make it like it used to be. The way it used to be, I don't want it like that. Let it be a little rusty. And you know what? You know what? We kind of, we kind of, we try to, we try to cut at it, cut at it, cut at it, cut at it, and and it's all frozen, it's all frozen, it's frozen, frozen log. And we try and we to get try the root of bitterness out of our heart. Sometimes, sometimes, with 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 really, really wrong, wrong, a wrong, a wrong perspective. The word of the God, God is not sharp, not sharp, memorizing it, it's not applying it. We have, we have maybe, maybe a lifestyle life where we say we've got, we got, we got all the bells in the right place, place, but the axe is dull. The axe is dull. And the word of God is, is we don't have a clear understanding, understanding of it. We've allowed our opinions to formulate and callous the years. The years got it's very, very, very dull. And we say, I want to go with somebody, somebody Jesus Christ, Christ, and we're, we're dragging, dragging us around the bitterness. Of bitterness. Everybody, everybody's able to stumble, stumble in our life, in our life and it's memory, memory that we have to get over. And we got this, we got thing right, thing right here, and, and, and we say, well, this is the worst of all, we're going to give you victory. They're saying, we're saying, why didn't we give victory for you? Why didn't we give victory for you? God says, I want to give you victory. He says, I want you to take the word of God. Meditate on it. Let the word of God sharpen your life. Get it, get it, get it all, get it all, 
cut the iron, get it all, get it all clean, get it all, get it all sharp. Let God, Let God use, use his word and his word and maybe people hey, come in, come in, break, break the root, the root up. What happens, what happens to the root? root? Have, you guys, have you guys ever tried to pull the root out? I have, I have. They tend, they to, they do tend to do something, don't they? They tend to grow they tend back. To grow back. Roots, roots tend, tend to grow back. back. If we're not, we're not careful, careful, we can have, we can have, have a root of bitterness that's so, so, so deteriorating in, in our life. We can't, we can't see it, but everybody else can see it. And it's damaged by that, by that mystery of the spirit. A proud, a proud attitude that's stubborn and stubbornness of heart. I, 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 but I, but I, it's not my way. God says, God says my way is my way is best. God says, God says quit fighting, fighting me. me. Develop, develop a bitter spirit. It'll kill, it'll kill the joy. It'll remove, remove the joy of the spirit in our life. Also, also considering, considering ourselves are better than others. Right? Right? It's easy, it's easy to do this. I'll tell them, I want you to know what? You ought to, you ought to go and you ought to teach about this. You ought to go to teach this. You ought to. And look at our life, life, right? It's a word, it's a word of law, law, law okay? okay? Right? Right? And, and, and sometimes in our, our, our life, we've allowed, we've allowed bitterness, bitterness to come in. And that's and that the way our life is. Instead of living a living tree, it's just a stump. God says, I want to take that stump. And I want you to let me rip the bitterness out. And I want, and you, I want to you to let me take, let me take this away. And God says, God says, I want to plant a nice tree right, tree right here. God says, God says, I want you to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, which is peace, peace which is love, which is long suffering. God says, I want, says, I want you to let me come through you, but you've got to let that, that go. Whatever, whatever it is. Instead of considering ourselves better than others, it's easy to consider ourselves better. And God says, there's a root, there's a root, there's a root needs to be kept away. Robbing, robbing God of his tithe will take away the blessing of God. Criticizing those who do the work of God will take, will take away the blessing of God. Failing, failing to apply the truth that we know will remove the blessing of God from our lives. Exalting our traditions over God's truth. It's really, really easy to label somebody else and say, well, they are traditional. They have, they have this tradition. God says it's easy to have this tradition blinding us from the truth. And we, have and we have our forms. Jesus, Jesus went in. He was big. He was big about mixing up, mixing up people's perceptions and helping people come to the truth. A mind, a mind preoccupied with self instead of others. That's a big, that's a big one right there. If we think, if we think everybody's out to get us, we're in big trouble. Okay. Most, most everybody doesn't even think about it. Okay. Uh, uh, they don't even think about it the rest of the week. Sometimes we think, you know what? Everybody's all focused on me. No, no, no. A mind preoccupied with self. Why don't, Why don't you find somebody, somebody this week? Say, Lord, would you lead me to somebody that I can encourage, that I can help, that I can bring to Christ? Lord, would you, Lord, would you give me victory? Lord, would you help me? Because I don't want to live a life under, under bondage, contentious, obeying not the truth. I don't want to live a life as a backbiter, hater of God, proud. I don't want to live a life in that half category. Instead, I want to live a life in the other category. Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For with God, there is no respect of persons. Look, in heaven, when you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you about, about how you evaluated yourself or how I evaluated myself. He's going to ask, ask us, did you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith in Christ? Yes. Now, where's the fruit? He's going to say, where's the fruit? Where's the multiplication? Lord, help me. Lord, I need it. Lord, help me to win somebody to you. Lord, help me to bear fruit for you. Help me to bring glory. 
Help me to focus on the eternal life in verse 7. I don't want to live a life of contention, obeying not the truth. Uh, I want to live a life of obedience to God. For with God there is no respect of persons. God will never ask you when you get to heaven what church you were a member of. You know that? All right? But he's going to ask you if you were a member of the kingdom of heaven. And if you loved your neighbor as yourself. And if you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what he's going to ask you about. Do you know the king? If you know the king, live a life of obedience to him. If you don't know the king, today I challenge you to come and put your faith in submission to Jesus Christ, who is our life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we, which are also gathered together, be glorified with him. God wants us to live a life of obedience and surrender. He wants to give us victory over any areas in which we may be struggling, failing to repent, failing to lead souls to Christ, failing to make disciples, developing a bitter spirit, exalting our traditions over God's truth, whatever it is, and remind preoccupied with self. Lord, help me. I want victory today. You say, well, I'm not struggling. Pray for somebody else who is, all right? If you're not struggling today, you're perfect. Uh, I'd like to figure out how you do it because I'm not perfect. But if you're perfect, uh, maybe you ought to pray for somebody else. But let's just be honest. All of us need to pray for ourselves today, okay? And uh, as the piano begins to play, let's do business with the Lord. Let's stand together and do business with the Lord. Father, you see our hearts. You know our hearts. Thou, Lord, seest. Thou, Lord, knowest. Lord, help us, search us, and see if there be any wicked way in us, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we pray. We ask you to give us power. We ask you to give us the anointing of your spirit, the filling of your spirit. For every believer in the room, they would surrender, we would surrender to the Holy Spirit of God and find victory through Christ. As the piano begins to play, let's take a moment to just do business with the Lord. Let's take a moment to ask the Lord to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. If you'd like to come forward and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to pray in your seat, you're welcome to do that. Let's take a moment to meet with God. Lord, help me to have a sweet spirit, pleasing to God. I encourage you, come out from wherever you're at in your seat, come forward and pray with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Just say, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me? I want to live a life without excuse before you, a life that's pleasing to you. That ought to be the prayer of each of our hearts this morning. Lord, help me to reach others for Jesus. Lord, help me to not live a life of judgment, but instead a life of victory in Jesus Christ. Do business with the Lord. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, you want to pray in your seat. You want to come forward. You want somebody to pray with you. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, why don't you take a moment and do business with God.